President Trump is trying to steal the election by locking up all the mailboxes. Did you know that? That's the latest conspiracy theory that the Democrats are pushing. They're pushing it. They found one photo of mailboxes that had locks on them in Burbank, California, and a lot of blue checkmark liberals on Twitter started running with us saying this is evidence that Trump is trying to steal the election. He's stealing it apparently because he thinks he's going to win California or something. Is that what's, is that what's going to happen? Probably not. The real story behind those mailboxes, of course, is that there had been uh, people stealing mail. <laughs> there would be criminals around. Around, so they locked it up. But they're not just pointing to individual mailboxes. They're saying Trump is trying to shut down the USPS right before this election that they're forcing everyone to mail in their votes for because they've shut down the entire country for absolutely no reason. Well, is Trump really doing that? Uh, it's hard to say the facts line up when in fact, uh, Donald Trump just gave the USPS $10 billion, a $10 billion loan from the Treasury Department. This even after last year, the USPS lost lots of money, $9 billion. Well, they just got another $10 billion. Doesn't matter. You could give them $100 billion. They'd still accuse them of stealing the election. A lot of fake news that the Democrats are spreading about mail-in voting, about November 3rd. We will get into it and break down all of the election year lies. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Thursday is from Ricardo Vasquez. Ricardo says, I'm Hispanic and I had no idea what Latinx was until a white liberal explained it to me. You know, Ricardo, I feel you. I don't, I don't know anything until white liberals can explain it to me. I didn't know that men are really women. I didn't know that babies aren't, aren't really babies. I, my whole worldview was just so mistaken before white liberals explained to me that up is down and black is white and left is right, and that this election is being stolen by the Republicans. This is after the Democrats have spent four years trying to overturn a duly elected presidency. Uh, we'll get into it. I mean, they are spreading some out and out lies and we can smack them down. It's pretty easy. You just got to look at the facts. First though, I got to thank our friends over at LifeLock. You know, unless you secure yourself on the internet, you are wide open to bad actors. There's some troubling news right now for companies who use enterprise VPN for employees working from home. Over 900 VPN servers at a large enterprise security provider were hacked. Usernames and passwords have been shared on a forum used by ransomware gangs. Enterprise VPN servers are used to give employees secure access to corporate networks. Compromised VPN servers can allow hackers to access a company's entire internal network. You got to protect your information. You got to be responsible. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet. Thank goodness there's LifeLock, which detects a wide range of identity threats like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they will send you an alert. No one, of course, can prevent all identity theft to monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock, however, can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now, save up to 25% off your first year. I really, really trust these guys. Go to lifelock.com slash Knowles. That is lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, lifelock.com slash Knowles for 25% off. Is Trump trying to steal the election by shutting down the post office? Uh, no, no, the facts are clear. He's not only is he not defunding the post office, he's giving them $10 billion stupidly. I don't think he should be giving them all that money. They always waste an incredible amount of money every single year. And yet, He's giving them more. 
So he's not doing it on that level. Okay, that's fine. CNN can't run with that story. So instead now, they're running with a story that shows a, a piece of campaign material. It says, urgent notice, request your mail-in ballot right now. And it was sent out by the Trump campaign. Headline from CNN, voters in North Carolina have received absentee ballot request forms in the mail with Donald Trump's face on them. I don't even know what they're pretending is wrong with this. This is not a government form. This is not some official, first of all, don't you think that uh, the various states could, could send out whatever forms they want? Don't forget the states run the elections. No, this is campaign material saying, don't forget to request your mail-in ballot. I'm sure the Biden campaign is going to send them out too. If Biden remembers that he's running, if Biden remembers that it's a, an election year, of course we have to send this out. But now the Democrats won't just say, you're not allowed to go to the ballot box. You're not allowed to actually vote on election day at polling locations where we have ballot security. They say, you've got to mail it in. It's so much safer to mail it in. But it's not just that. Now they're upset when Republicans tell their own voters to go mail in their votes. They won't even let them do that. We're no, we are now, according to CNN, I think it's a very clear implication of this tweet. According to CNN, Republicans are not even allowed to remind their voters to request the mail-in ballots that they say are essential for the 2020 election. Well, are they? Is, is it safer to submit your ballot from home? Is that going to protect public health? That's the, that's the lie that the Democrats are saying, right? That the lie is, First, don't forget, it began with we need to flatten the curve, which we did immediately and it's fine. Then it became we need to find a cure. By the way, we have plenty of treatments that work very well for coronavirus. Then it became we had to find a vaccine. But we found out that if you get a vaccine, it's very likely not going to give us herd immunity anyway, so there's no reason to continue to have the lockdown. We found out we needed the lockdown, then there were BLM riots and there was no need for a lockdown now because the economy could have recovered there's a lockdown again. Lots of nonsense. So on this specific question, do you have to stay home on election day? Let's ask the, the vaunted public health expert, our exalted Dr. Fauci, what he thinks from the perspective of pub public health we need on election day. You see, when you go into a store, whatever that store is, you know, a CVS, uh, the uh, drugstore or, or a Starbucks or what have you, they have people staying six feet apart with masks. I think if you stay six feet apart with masks, you can do whatever it is that you need to do, whether you're going to CVS, whether you're going to Starbucks or whether you're voting. I, I don't see any reason not to do that. He says it flat out. There is no reason to stay home on election day, November 3rd. Unless you're a Democrat, then election day is November 4th. But uh, for the rest of us, it's, it's November 3rd. Put it in your calendar. He says there's no reason to stay home. So why are the Democrats pushing this stuff? Well, because vote by mail is totally open for fraud. That's why. You remember there was that local news outlet that conducted a, a, just an experiment with 100 mock ballots, mailed it from a mailbox to the P.O. box right down the block. 3% went missing, 3%. And we're now collecting numbers from around the country just in, in past elections of how many mail-in ballots went missing, how many didn't show up for some reason. It's a huge number. Here in California, your, your mail-in ballot, if you request absentee, because they've been doing that here for, in small numbers for years, it has your party affiliation right on the outside. So if it says Republican, I think that translates to, in California ease, please throw me out. But Fauci says it's fine. Remember, we're all supposed to trust Fauci. Listen to Fauci. He says, you distance, you wear the mask, you'll be fine to go vote. Still not good enough 
for Democrats. Uh, as, as I've said from the beginning, this reaction to the virus has very little, if anything, to do with public health. It's all political. By the way, that, that includes the masks. By the way, that includes the way we've locked down. Fauci makes this point. He says, how come we're allowed to go into Walmart? <laughs> You're saying it's okay to go to Walmart, but we can't exercise our sacred right in this democratic republic? No, I don't think so. But why do the Democrats need to steal this election? Because they have horrible, horrible candidates. Not just Joe Biden, who can't remember his own name, but Kamala Harris too. I mean, she's one of the least likable women in the entire country. Biden had backed himself into a corner where he said, I'm going to choose a black woman. And obviously it's got to be a democratic woman, a liberal woman uh, for his running mate. So that, that narrows down the field. He'd gotten it down to Susan Rice, who was the fall man for Benghazi, had a lot of dirt on her. Karen Bass, who is an actual communist. And then all you're left with is Kamala Harris, who nobody likes. Kamala Harris, who was one of the first people out of the presidential race. Kamala Harris, who has a lot of bad stuff in her political closet. Let's leave it there. And Kamala Harris, who launched this vi vicious attack on Joe Biden, accusing him of being a racist and a bigot. So Stephen Colbert, to his credit, had Kamala Harris on The Late Show. And he asked her about this. He said, you know, you went pretty hard at Joe Biden in those debates. It wasn't just even the usual tit for tat. I mean, you, you accused him of being a racist who would have kept you out of school and kept you subservient. Uh, what do you have to say about that now? Kamala Harris did not have much of an answer. In those debates, you landed haymakers on Joe Biden. I mean, they were, his teeth were like chiclets all over the stage. And now I believe you that you're fully supportive of him. How does that transition happen? How do you go from being such a passionate opponent on such bedrock principles for you? And, and now you guys seem to be pals. It was a debate. <laughs> Not everybody landed punches like you did, though. It was a debate. So you don't mean it. It was a debate that the whole reason, literally, it was a debate. It was called a debate. Everyone I understand. Traveled to the debate. There were journalists there covering the debate where there would be a debate of differences of opinion and issues. Ha ha ha, debate, debate. Ha 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 debate, debate, debate. Ha 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 Okay, are we good? Can we move on to the next question? Debate. <laughs> what, what kind of an answer is that? Yes, it was a debate. D de it's an amazing, this, th there could be a whole psychological study of this answer <laughs> because it reveals the way that Democrats think about politics, at least the way that Democrats like Kamala Harris think about politics. When you have a debate, you are supposed to be arguing about facts and about the truth. And you have people who have two different points of view on the truth and they present their points of view. And then through logical debate, you figure out who might be more likely to be correct. Kamala Harris seems to believe that debate is when you just say a bunch of things that aren't true, right? She thinks debate is the opposite of what debate actually is. She says, yeah, debate is where you go out there and then you lie through your teeth. And then if you're the most persuasive liar, you win. And Colbert, to his credit, actually calls her out for this. He said, oh, so you didn't mean it? That it doesn't matter that it's a debate. You're still, you're still supposed to be telling the truth. And in this case, she said, Joe Biden's a vicious racist 
And now she's saying, I'm happy to run with him. And the only answer she has is this ridiculous, goofy, awkward laugh. One thing this also shows you is that the average Democratic politician is much less competent than the average Republican politician who are, you know, who are successful, who make it to a certain level of politics. Why is that? Because Democrats have the entire liberal apparatus behind them. They have tech, right? They have Hollywood, they have mainstream media, they have all, all those things behind them. Whereas Republican politicians have all those things against them. So Kamala Harris is an incompetent politician, right? I mean, that, that was a pathetic answer. She had to know that question was coming. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she thought the, the Hollywood media would be so kind to her that they wouldn't even ask, but she should have had it prepared and she didn't. And so she had that ridiculous answer. I guarantee you a, a Republican politician who was in a similar position would have had a great answer to that question because that politician would have had to. Kamala's admitting that she doesn't mean anything she says. The, the, only, the, the only saving grace for Kamala here is that no one cares. No one who's going to support them cares that, that she's now ad basically admitting that she's a liar and that she doesn't know how to answer a reporter's question and that Joe Biden doesn't know how to answer a reporter's question and that Joe Biden doesn't remember his own name. They don't care because Kamala and Biden are not people <laughs> as it comes to personal politics. Donald Trump, you may hate him, but he's all personality, right? He's all person. Joe Biden and Kamala are not people in the sense that I'm going to vote for this individual. They are stand-ins for the liberal democratic establishment. They, th their advantage in politics is they are empty suits. They don't mean what they say. They change their mind on everything. They say one thing one day and then two days later they contradict it. That's what a certain class of democratic voters wants because what they actually just want is ruled by the unaccountable bureaucrats, the so-called experts who have taken our politics away from us and run our lives without any input or accountability from or to us. So it, it probably won't hurt her. But among normal people who actually think that the individual person does matter in politics sometimes, uh, that, that answer is, is not going to help her very much. And, and the press, by the way, are not going to call her to account. Probably the hardest question she got on this was from Stephen Colbert. Uh, the rest of the press walk around like lemmings as they just did at their latest campaign event. We'll get to that in one second. First though, got to thank our friends over at Rock Auto. Rock auto, man. The last thing anybody wants to do is spend hours at an auto parts store. And even when you go in, it can take hours, but they usually don't even have your part. What do they do? You go in, you say, I need this part for my car. They say, okay, they go online. They usually don't have it. So they order it from online, probably from rock auto. And then they charge you double RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I don't know anything about cars, but my cars do break down sometimes. Uh, the best thing I can say about any auto parts uh, store or retailer is that I can understand it. And with rockauto.com, I can actually understand the website. I can navigate it. I can find the parts I need. Also, they're a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, which is basically as long as online has even existed. Head on over to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com stay reliably low and they don't charge you different prices for professionals and do it yourself. Just head on over to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Knowles in there. How did you hear about his box? So they know that we sent you. The press won't even hold these people to account. 
Uh, Stephen Colbert will get one, one question in, but otherwise they won't hold them to account. There was a, recently a, a campaign event for Biden and Harris, and they're each sitting at separate desks and they're signing something. What are they signing? I don't know. It, it's obviously just some stunt to make them look very official, like they're signing documents in the Oval Office or something. The press wanted to ask some questions of Biden and Harris. The campaign said, I don't think so. That's it Thank for you. Come on, guys. Senator. Yeah. Thank Senator. you, guys. Senator, come on, can I ask a question? Come on, let's go. Come on, thank you. Thank you. Get out of here, kids. Come on, guys. Thank Bye-bye. you. Come on. Okay, reporters, you've had enough. You've had enough. Get out of my room now. Come on, guys. Let's go. Come on, guys. Well, okay. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. We'll just head out of here, head down. They leave. They don't put up any kind of a fight. Can you imagine if President Trump were holding a campaign event, especially an early campaign event like this, announcing his running mate, and then they, they wouldn't take any questions? They're just standing there, and then the reporter's, okay, well, my boss has told me I have to leave, so I guess I'll leave now. Why would they do this? You know, President Trump, who hates the press and who the press hates, will speak to the press for hours, unguarded, no rules. He'll do it, he'll do it on the lawn, he'll do it in the briefing room, right? He's, say what you want about the man, he's probably the most transparent president we've had in 100 years or more. Meanwhile, Biden and Kamala, who love the press and whom the press love, will rush them out of the room. Why? Well, because the press are on the same team as the Democrats. They're on the same team, so the reactions would be totally different. We always point to hypocrisy among the press. In a sense, they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites because they they pretend to be objective and they're not. But when you realize that they're not, when you accept that the press are the opposition, then it makes perfect sense. Why would, why, would the, why would the press go after the Democrats? Why wouldn't they take their marching orders from Joe Biden's comms director? They're on the same team. And it, it's clearer and clearer every day. And the only people who don't seem to get it are the ones who are either not paying attention or who are actively against the president, actively against Republicans who are on the same team as Biden and the press. It, it's become so clear. It's, it's going to be one of the, the lasting legacies of Trump probably more so than the judges even, is exposing the press. There was a reporter for Huffington Post. His name is S.V. Date. I'd never heard of him until he showboated on television the other day. S.V. Date was in a briefing with President Trump, and he asked him not just an outrageous question, but a very stupid question. He asked the president, when are you going to stop lying to the American people? After three and a half years, do you regret it all? All the lying you've done to the American people. On all the what? All the lying, all the dishonesties. That who has done? You have done. Uh, Tens of thousands. Yeah, go ahead, please. Please. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I wanted to ask about payroll tax. What a, what a perfect response to this guy. You're a liar. I hate you. You say, you say you're sorry for lying. Who's lying? You are. You're a mean liar. All right, next question, you. And then you can tell the other reporter doesn't know what to do, but he moves on to just the perfect, lame next question, which is, I want to talk for a moment about the payroll tax. Do you think that this Huffington Post guy, SV Date, do you think he ever asked Obama that question? Obama, who was a much, much more uh, pervasive and profound liar than Donald Trump? Donald Trump, I'm willing to admit, maybe has exaggerated a crowd size or two in his life, Maybe, maybe he has. Barack Obama looked the American people in the eye, said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. 
said that premiums weren't going to go up. And then when both of those things turned out to be abject lies, do you know what he said? He said, well, you didn't think you were going to get all that stuff for free, did you? He admitted that he knew it was a lie at the time. Where's SV date? Well, SV dates on the same team as Obama. The whole press apparatus is on the same team as Obama. So they never asked him any of those questions. I'm really sick of this whole Donald Trump's a liar thing. Politicians twist the truth. That is intrinsic to the job. Okay. That is, there are spin rooms on cable news and, and in political offices to do that sort of thing. So Trump is in a long line of people, and I'm not saying he doesn't twist the truth sometimes. As far as outright lies, Trump has been more honest than any president in my lifetime. The clear example is the, the embassy in Jerusalem, right? Because remember they said, we're going to move the Israeli, the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, which is the Israeli capital of Israel. According to Israel, it's the capital of Israel. According to the United States, it's the capital of Israel. So we're going to move the embassy. Presidents had been telling this, this sort of campaign line for my whole lifetime. No one ever believed them. Why? Because the presidents never followed up. They just lied. So Trump gets into office. He's so naive. He doesn't realize you're supposed to lie about these things that he goes ahead and moves the embassy and people are shocked and angry. They're upset with him for it. But it was true. How many presidents have run and said, we're not going to nation build. We're not going to have more foreign wars. George W. Bush ran on that in 2000. Barack Obama ran on that. And then what happened? They launched many foreign wars. Obama more egregiously than Bush. At least Bush could say 9-11 happened and changed the game. Barack Obama, nothing changed. He just launched more wars. Launched wars in Libya, launched wars all over the place. Re started a, a war again in Afghanistan. Trump comes in and he won't start new wars. He goes in very targeted. Otherwise, he's drawing troops down. There, he's actually a pretty honest president. He, he won't get credit for that, obviously, from the press. The press is just going to say he's a liar. And the press, of course, is going to say he's a racist. That's the classic line. Frankly, any, any criticism of Kamala Harris is going to be spun now by the journalists who are Democrats as racist. That is why Biden picked her. He was open about this. He said, I need a black woman. He said he needed a black woman in part because you know, in part, he said, he said this because he was playing into this narrative that it's about time for liberation and everyone's been so oppressed and everything. But really why he did it is the same reason Democrats have played identity politics now for decades, which is that it gives you a certain immunity to criticism because anything that can be said about you, it, it will be spun as sexist or racist or, or uh, otherwise bigoted. So President Trump, was asked a question about whether or not Kamala Harris is eligible to be vice president. There's a lot of evidence, by the way, that she is not. We will get into that from a very esteemed legal expert who I happen to have spent a week with last week because he was one of the professors at the fellowship I was on. Uh, he was asked a question, the president was asked this question about whether or not Kamala Harris is eligible to be VP. He gave a very straightforward answer. So I just heard that, I heard it today that she doesn't meet the requirements. Uh, and by the way, the lawyer that wrote that piece is a very highly qualified, very talented lawyer. I have no idea if that's right. I would have I would have assumed the Democrats would have checked that out before she gets chosen to run for vice president. But that's a very serious. You're saying that they're saying that she doesn't qualify because she wasn't born in this country. No, she was born in this country, but her parents did not. Uh, 
The claims say that her parents did not receive their permanent residence at that yeah. time. I don't know about it. I just heard about it. I'll take a look. Very straightforward. I don't know. I'm just hearing about this. Someone just made this argument, so I don't know. How do you think that very simple, honest response was spun by the media? Why, of course, it's racist. A new effort by President Trump to boost his campaign using a familiar tactic. The president yesterday helped resurrect a false conspiracy theory he used to challenge Barack Obama's right to be president, this time to attack Kamala Harris. Mr. Trump refused to reject a bogus claim about her citizenship circulating online, that the senator doesn't qualify to be Joe Biden's running mate. Okay, first of all, it's not a bogus claim. Second of all, nothing about the argument is racist. Third of all, it's not even close to the argument that people were making about Obama, the, the, the birther argument. This is completely different. What is the argument? Well, this was put forward in an op-ed in Newsweek by John Eastman. John Eastman is a well-known legal scholar in the United States. He's a law professor. He's been in official Washington for a very long time. This is a very serious man. And just coincidentally, John Eastman was a professor of mine last week when I was at the Claremont Fellowship, which is why this podcast looked a little bit different last week because I was there studying the American founding and sort of how it's developed over time. And John Eastman was supposed to show up to a dinner, uh, I don't know when it was, uh, Thursday night or something like that. And he didn't show up because he had published this op-ed and it blew up the internet and now everyone's talking about it. So what is, what is the premise here? The question is, if Kamala Harris's parents were not American citizens when she was born, even though she was born in the United States, is she a citizen? The, the essay that John Eastman wrote isn't even really about Kamala Harris. It's about birthright citizenship, which now we all take for granted as part of the Constitution, but which frankly we probably shouldn't take for granted because there is still a very open question about whether or not the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, give us birthright citizenship. So John Eastman writes this, quote, the 12th amendment provides that no person constitutionally ineligible to the office of president shall be eligible to that of vice president of the United States. And article two of the constitution specifies that no person except a natural born citizen shall be eligible to the office of president. Kamala's father was and is a Jamaican national. Her mother was from India and neither was a naturalized U.S. citizen at the time of Harris's birth in 1964. That, according to these commentators, makes her not a natural born citizen and therefore ineligible for the office of the president and hence ineligible for the office of the vice president. It's so funny because without the Kamala part of this, John Eastman was having a debate right in front of us the day before the op-ed came out on this question, does the constitution provide for birthright citizenship? So this comes from the 14th amendment and, and the 14th amendment was there to, to make uh, freed blacks citizens. That's, that, that is the point of the 14th amendment. There had been Supreme Court decisions saying that that black people, even if they were freed, could not be citizens. 14th Amendment says, yes, they are citizens. So here's the language of the 14th Amendment. All persons born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens. So does that mean that all persons born in the United States are citizens? No, of course not. There's another clause here, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So for instance, the children of diplomats are not automatically American citizens. If the ambassador from Russia and his wife have a kid, uh, you know, on a U.S. soil, that kid does not become a U.S. citizen. Okay. What about 
uh, Native Americans. They're born, I guess it's U.S. soil, but it's reservation. So does that, how does that work? What about illegal aliens who have so-called anchor babies? Are their kids citizens? Are they subject to the jurisdiction thereof? Manifestly not. If you're a, if you're a, a, a foreign national and you're here in the United States, you're not subject to the jurisdiction. You're in a very limited sense subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, but you're not subject, you know, if you get a parking ticket or something, I suppose you have to pay it, but you're not subject to the complete jurisdiction of the United States because you are a citizen of another country. So the Supreme Court, now we, there, there was a case, Wong Kim Ark, that basically that sort of decided this question, but not really. It remains, without going down the rabbit hole of all of this case law, because there are other cases that say other things, suffice it to say, the Supreme Court has never held that anyone born on U.S. soil is automatically a citizen. Democrats don't want to have that debate. And it's not just about Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is going to be able to run for vice president. No one's going to stop her. However, and by the way, when people raise these questions, remember they raised a question about John McCain because he was born in Panama. Is, was he eligible? No one ever said that was racist or sexist or anything. So it's not really about them. What this is really about, though, is illegal aliens who come over here and on whose future citizenship and the citizenship of their children, Democrats are staking their electoral viability. That's really what's at the heart of this freak out. And they don't want you to be able to have the question about birthright citizenship. And we should absolutely force it. Speaking of this issue of racism and and claims that people are racist. You know, this is probably the main reason that people don't want to raise the constitutional question of birthright citizenship. They're afraid of being called racist. Incredibly though, now some people are afraid to question even racist policies for fear of being called racist. So if there's a racist policy out there and you question that racist policy, but the left likes that racist policy, they'll call you a racist for questioning the racist policy. Nowhere is this clearer than at Yale. My dear alma mater, Yale, which is clearly engaging in racist policies and which the Trump administration is finally, finally going after. This is excellent news for higher education in America. We'll get to that in one second. But first, there are so many reasons to like, subscribe, and most importantly, share the videos on the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel. Thanks to everyone for heading on over there. We appreciate it. Also, uh, worth noting, YouTube is demonetizing half of all our videos now. The, the channel is doing too well. People are watching it too much. So they're trying to demonetize it and shut it down. Well, I don't care. That's fine. We, uh, we've got other streams of revenue. Uh, would be great if you could head on over there. We appreciate it. We've got a new, uh, new video up there, which is uh, reacting to, my, to the, this woke commercial. It, it's a uh, commercial. I don't know, or I didn't know at the beginning what the commercial was for because it was all just woke politics. See if you can guess what the commercial was actually selling. Uh, head on over there. By the way, we've got a backstage coming up on Friday. And also we have our most exclusive membership tier, All Access. All Access lets you join All Access Live, which is our exclusive live stream hangout with uh, the hosts and the writers and me and all the viewers. Uh, this Thursday, August 20th, we'll be doing a very special live stream uh, to watch the Democratic National Convention's biggest speakers and Daily Wire's own Matt Walsh is going to be doing it. That starts at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific. Do not miss it. Head on over to dailywire.com. You get 20% off, rather, all access with, uh, and you'll get two leftist years tumblers with coupon code ACCESS. Dailywire.com slash Knowles. We'll be right back with a lot more. 
Yale is in trouble. Yale University, one of the most well-known universities in the country, they are in trouble because they are racists and they're doing racist things. This according to Assistant Attorney General Eric Driebend, who heads the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division. He says, Yale's race discrimination imposes undue and unlawful penalties on racially disfavored applicants, including in particular Asian American and white applicants. This is obviously true. We know that when you apply not just to Yale, but to basically every college, any place of employment, if you are black or Hispanic, your race will give you an advantage. And if you are white or Asian, your race will be counted against you. You will have a harder time getting in. Frankly, the only reason we're even able to bring this up is because the discrimination is also against Asian Americans. Because according to the logic of affirmative action, it is good that white people are disadvantaged. That, that's the out and open logic. They're basically saying white people had advantages in the past and now we're going to punish them for the color of their skin and we're going to, to harm them as they apply to various institutions. So that's out in the open. You, you wouldn't be able to challenge that because the logic of affirmative action already includes it. The question is the Asians. Why are the Asians being published, they're being punished rather, for the alleged historical sins of white people that for some reason we're punishing people for now? Why are the Asians getting lumped in? A lot of these people came over as recent immigrants. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have these advantages. They just are, you know, they're hardworking. They're good at taking tests. They have a strong academic culture. So they get into these schools and they're being discriminated against by Yale and other places. Uh, the, the whole policy of affirmative action is race discrimination. That's, that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm not say, even saying that as a judgmental criticism of affirmative action. I'm, I'm just saying that descriptively, it, it is race discrimination. That's the beginning and end of affirmative action. So the question is, do we want to have official race discrimination in America? We're always told that there's systemic institutional racism. There's only one instance of legal racism in America. That is affirmative action. So right now, the DOJ is taking that up. I think that's a wonderful thing. There, there was a lawsuit against Harvard uh, a little while ago uh, for the same reason, and the judge th threw, threw it out. They, they, they ruled in Harvard's favor. So now they're trying to get at, at Yale. It's very important to make an example of Yale. I love dear old Yale. I wish Yale was not discriminating on the basis of race and they need to be punished when they are. It's a, that's a good thing. You need to make an example of a top American university to set the tone because this sort of behavior is absolutely unacceptable. And it starts at the top, you know, at the higher education level, but this kind of stuff goes all the way down throughout American education. Right now, even beyond the race question, just look at injustice in higher ed. Durham, North Carolina is not going to open schools because of the coronavirus, even though all the public health officials say it's not only okay to open schools, you totally should open schools. Durham, North Carolina is not going to open schools. The half dozen schools in the Durham public school system will remain shut down, but they will operate six, quote, learning centers and families who send their children there will pay $140 per week plus a $35 registration fee. Now, if you're an employee of the school district, you only pay $105 a week. But if you're a regular old parent, you pay $140 a week plus a $35 registration fee to send kids to school that you're already paying for. You're already paying your taxes for the schools. And the schools are shut down, but they're open anyway for a shakedown, for a little bit of money. 
There is no logic to that whatsoever. No logic to discriminating against Asian people in higher ed. No logic to making parents pay extra money to send their kids to the school, which is technically closed, but actually open for the virus that has absolutely nothing to do with the school closings because there is no medical, scientific, public health argument to keep the schools shut. This is arbitrary bureaucratic enforcement. This is arbitrary rule by administrators. If you put these rules up for a vote among our duly elected representatives or among the voters as a referendum, they would be shut down. They would be shut down in a second. If you, if you said, should we open schools or keep schools closed? Vast majority of representatives and voters, I think, would say, keep the schools open. But it's just these bureaucrats who are making the decisions, unaccountable. If you put affirmative action up to a vote among the populace or among the representatives, affirmative action would be shot down in two seconds. It's manifestly unjust. And yet, the bureaucrats make the decisions. It's all these little, not just the administrators at the colleges, but the administrators throughout the administrative government, which actually makes our rules for us. And so it goes on. It goes on at all these levels of schooling. We've got to crack that. The one, the one silver lining of the lockdowns is that the schools are remaining closed. I'm actually supportive of the schools remaining closed because the schools exist as indoctrination centers for the state, for the state completely perverse understanding of its own history for the state's administrative priorities. I'm glad that that's shutting down. And speaking of schooling, did you know Joe Biden is going back to his Catholic school days to try to appeal to religious voters? Let's see how successful he'll be. I just walked out the side door of St. Peter's Basilica after a meeting and getting an opportunity to shake hands and have a brief conversation with Pope Francis. The first people I saw were a group of nuns who, to me, epitomize everything Pope Francis talked about in his homily and what he stands for, about generosity to other people, about reaching out, about making it a point to understand that we are a brother's keeper. And that's what, in my experience, being raised as a Catholic and educated by the nuns, that's what those lovely women I'm talking to uh, symbolize to me. So I thought it was a good omen. When Joe Biden was vice president, his administration tried to litigate nuns into the dirt because the nuns wouldn't provide abortion pills to people. That's what Joe Biden did. He, he tried to force nuns to pay for birth control and abortion and violate not just their moral conscience, but the faith that Joe Biden pretends to hold. Basic elements of the faith that the apostate Joe Biden pretends to hold as he supports not just open widespread abortion, but taxpayer-funded abortion. He's signaled that he would do that, that again as president. He's, he's overturned his formerly egregious but somewhat more moderate stances on abortion. Now he wants all taxpayers to pay for it. That's why he was denied the Eucharist, because he's in a, a very clear public state of grave mortal sin and shows absolutely no remorse for it whatsoever. The simple fact is it is not acceptable for any practicing Catholic to vote for Joe Biden. It is not acceptable, and you are imperiling your soul if you do it. But he's going to try to appeal anyway. Still, I don't think very many serious Catholics are going to take that seriously. Speaking of these eternal questions, by the way, President Trump's brother just died, his younger brother, which is very sad. Uh, his name is Robert Trump. And obviously, you know, condolences go out to the Trump family, but no condolences go out from the mainstream media. Washington Post, here's the headline they write. 
Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, who filed lawsuit against Denise, dies at 71. What? Robert Trump. Okay, this makes it Robert Trump. That part makes sense. Younger brother of President Trump. That makes sense. Who filed lawsuit against Denise dies at 70. Like as though that's describing President Trump. They're saying, like, if you were to refer to President Trump, you'd always say, oh, yes, you know, uh, President Trump who filed a lawsuit against his niece, he lowered taxes yesterday. No, it's just a ridiculous dig. By the way, the niece he filed the lawsuit against isn't Robert Trump's daughter. It's the daughter of their other brother, Fred Trump. Actually, Robert condemned his, his niece, just like President Trump did for that book said, I and the rest of my entire family are so proud of my wonderful brother, the president, and feel that Mary Trump's actions are truly a disgrace. So just a ridiculous dig at at the Trump family as they grieve. Meanwhile, Washington Post, how did they report when when the biggest terrorist in the world died? Remember the head of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi? Well, they said, very famously, infamously, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. I'm not asking for total objectivity from the press or from the Washington Post. I'm not asking for them to go easy on the president. I just wish that they would treat the president and his family with the same respect that they treat the leader of ISIS. And apparently that's too much to ask. Meanwhile, after President Trump's brother died, the wrong Trump trended on Twitter. The wrong Trump. And this was not just a contrived trend. This was actually people actually saying, prominent people saying that the wrong Trump had died. Conservatives didn't say this stuff about Barack Obama. They didn't. Now, we didn't like Obama either, but we didn't say that kind of stuff. The left has no respect in the face of death, and it's because their entire view of life and death, of eternity, of morality and the soul is off kilter. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. They're, they're not considering these things. And so this worldview they've foisted on us has people very depressed. Here's a study just came out from the CDC. One in four young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 say they've considered suicide in the past month because of the pandemic. One in four young adults, very young, 18 and 24. That analyzed 5,412 survey respondents between June 24th and June 30th. 10.7% of respondents overall reported considering suicide in the past 30 days. 25.5% of those between 18 and 24 considered doing so. And another 13.3% of respondents said they've turned to substance abuse, including alcohol and prescription or illicit drugs, to cope with stress from the pandemic. It's not from the pandemic, though. People aren't stressed out by the pandemic. There, we have illnesses all the time that are comparable to this illness. They're stressed out from the contrived Democrat freak out to shut down our entire country and make people miserable so that they can steal an election. That's what they're stressed out about. And it's disgusting that they're doing it. People, people really don't like this kind of stuff. Okay. They don't like what's going on. Taylor Swift, Taylor, we can't even find a little bit of levity in our popular musicians. Because even, even Taylor Swift, who used to be, people thought she was kind of Republican. Even she's jumping on the bandwagon. Taylor Swift, quote, she tweets out, Trump's calculated dismantling of USPS proves one thing clearly. He is well aware that we do not want him as our president. He has chosen to blatantly cheat and put millions of Americans' lives at risk in an effort to hold on to power. This reminds me that Kanye West should not have let Taylor finish. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I used to think Kanye should have let her finish. 
Now I think Taylor should have gotten off the stage and let Kanye finish. It's an amazing, who would have thought, who would have thought years ago when we thought that Kanye was a liberal and Taylor was a conservative and Kanye was disrespectful and Taylor was respectful. Who would have thought that all these years later, conservatives would be cheering on Kanye West, who is now a pro-life, pro-God activist and booing Taylor Swift. This reminds us of something very, very important. This is kind of a broader point on politics. It's a lesson for conservatives to learn. Politics is not eternal. Okay. Politics is not forever. It's not permanent. By definition, politics is always changing. And I think some conservatives get way too bogged down in some bumper sticker that they had in 1992. And they say that, no, the view of politics from 1992, that was the, that was it. That's the be all and end all that sums up. No, that's not, that's not it. The left kind of thinks that way, but that's not how conservatives should think. Politics is always changing. It's applying eternal principles to changing political circumstances, which we view through the light of our traditions. That's what politics is. Things are changing. These are a little crazy. People who don't get on board, who haven't realized what's happening in politics, don't quite understand that. I'll give you a great example of this. I got in trouble on Twitter for this. I pointed out the other day, I pointed out on the show too, that conservatives need to get over our distaste for executive orders. Now, why? Uh, It's not because I all of a sudden love executive orders. It's not because all of a sudden I don't like the constitution. It's because I realize that politics has changed. We are no longer living under that constitutional system that our founding fathers set up, that our government is very different today than it was in the 18th and 19th centuries. A lot of this is because of Woodrow Wilson and Franklin Roosevelt and LBJ. And I wish that the changes that all those people wrought hadn't happened to the structure of our government, but they did. And it is simply the case now that under the the constitution that our founding fathers set up, the legislature, Congress made the laws and the executive enforced the laws. And in that sort of a system, if the, if the executive is just going to govern more or less by executive fiat, that's not so great. But if you live in a system where the Congress has outsourced all of its law, basically all of its lawmaking powers to the executive agencies, which by the way, aren't even really under the control of the executive. They're just run as an unaccountable bureaucracy. That's how they were set up. That's what Wilson wanted. That's what FDR wanted. Government by the experts in the lab coats who do whatever they want unaccountable to the people. In that sort of situation, executive orders are a way to increase the role of democracy in our government. They're not anti-democratic. They're actually pro-democracy because at least you've got one guy who got elected who is trying to exert any influence whatsoever over the executive agencies by sending them these executive orders. The only reason executive orders matter is because the executive agencies matter so much. If you decrease their power, then you would decrease the influence of the executive orders. So, okay, we can try to do that. But in the meantime, waxing nostalgic about the good old days of our founding fathers isn't going to change a thing. We have to do what we can. It, it's, a, it's a clear example, I think, of applying an eternal principle, a principle of our government, which is that we the people have some say over it, to changing circumstances. It means something very different at the beginning of the 19th century than it means at the beginning of the 21st century. That's how we've got to look at things. The, 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 look, obviously the circumstances of politics are changing because now the whole country is locked down so that the Democrats can try to steal an election. How are we going to apply our principles to that new and changing circumstance? How are we going to look at our agencies, whether it's the, the most powerful administrative agencies in the government or whether it's the U.S. Postal Service? 
Let's see. In the meantime, I'm sure the Democrats are going to keep going postal. We've got to try to keep some control over our government. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Democrat media complex has run a four-year campaign to convince us the republic is in danger from Donald Trump, and now the republic is in danger because of the Democrat media complex. Have they convinced Americans to abandon America? We'll talk about it on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin.